thank you guys for tuning in to hear this week's message from our series, I Will Be. Trey is teaching on what it looks like to be a good soldier who fights for the glory of God and to make his gospel known. We hope you will be blessed and encouraged by the message. Amen. If you guys have your Bibles with you, go ahead and flip them open to the book of 2 Timothy. That's where we're going to be in the scriptures tonight. And last week we started a new series together called I Will Be Blank. And we talked about how sometimes we carry that mindset into the start of a new year. This year I will be blank. And there are countless answers. There are countless possibilities that we can choose to place in our blank. But last week we had our mindset changed a little bit. So instead of what should I place in my blank, we ask God, what do you desire? For me to place in that blank. God, who do you desire for me to be? So last week it started with us simply being a good servant. And as good servants, we follow orders. We reject worldliness, train for godliness. We toil and strive. We put in the work. We set an example for others. We don't neglect our giftedness. We immerse ourselves in the work and we persist until it's done. But I know that's not all that God has for us. And so I'm excited to get back in the scriptures tonight to see what else he desires for us to focus on being. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we find this. Verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. God's second point that he made clear to me several weeks ago, and not just to me, but to all of us tonight, was this. I want you to be a good soldier. I want you to be a good soldier. And his words to get us started tonight on fulfilling this, I don't think could get any better. Look back at verse 1. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened. The battle is wearisome, guys, and it continues and extends well beyond your stamina's ability to sustain you. But that's why we call upon and depend on a supernatural power. The psalmist said, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. So as we get started tonight, can y'all help me out with a little something? Just pick your right foot up. On the ground. Dig it in. Left foot. On the ground. Dig it in. If God establishes your footing, 
you will not slip. And so as we get into the scriptures tonight, Paul begins to lay out some characteristics that are a part of the good soldier's lifestyle. And we find the first one in verse 2. And we'll go back and see it again. And in verse 1 he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So the first characteristic that embodies the lifestyle of a good soldier is this. He recruits others to the fight. From 1980 to 2001, the United States Army had a recruitment slogan that went like this. Be all that you can be. It was wildly popular. One of the best ones that they've ever came up with because it was geared towards motivating young men and young women to see their potential maximized through the purpose of serving in the Army. And once you got them in on that, right, once you got to these people, once you get to these young people believing this, then what happens is they enlist in the service. And once they enlist, that's when you begin the, pro the process of training them and preparing them for the fight. But before you ever train and prepare someone for a fight, you have to convince them to believe that it's worth fighting for. And so that slogan really piqued the interest in the people's hearts back then to, to maximize their potential through the purpose of serving in the army. So Paul tells Timothy, the same way in which I recruited and trained you should be the way that you also recruit and train others. Well, how did Paul recruit Timothy? He shared the gospel with him. He shared the gospel with Timothy. He came to Timothy one day and he told him exactly what you've heard, those of you that have placed your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. See, the world wants you to think that you can fulfill your potential and your purpose without God in your life. But I'm telling you, that's the exact opposite. The only way that you will maximize your potential and fulfill your purpose is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Paul recruits Timothy by way of the gospel, and then he began to train him for the fight. Then he began to train him for the fight. So in other words, how do we recruit others to the fight? We tell them the gospel. Let me ask you something. Would Jesus be willing to give you the job of being his recruiting officer? We tell them the gospel, and then we prepare them to join the fight. And make no mistake in understanding this, please. We are in a battle. We are in a spiritual battle. Our mission is to lead people to Jesus, but our enemy's mission is to keep people from Jesus. And so we need some good fighters. And so Paul tells Timothy to go and get some faithful men. To go and get some faithful men. Go back and look at it in verse 2 again. He says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men. We need some faithful men. It's interesting that Paul told Timothy to go find some faithful men instead of Timothy, what I want you to do is I want you to go find some fickle men. Can I talk to the men in this room a little bit? Because I'm going to anyway. Let me talk to you men just a little bit. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but the church is suffering from a severe lack of men who will step up and be warriors of faith. Y'all hear me right? God created us to be warriors. Amen? And so what the church needs 
There's more men who will step up and be warriors of faith. Hey, Timothy, go out and find some faithful men. Where are the faithful men at in this room tonight, I wonder? Because there seems to be a whole lot of fickle men. Men who want to say one thing and then live a completely different other. But faithful men live by their faith. It's not one way this week and a completely different way the rest of the week. It's the same day in and day out. I live for my Savior and I'm unashamed to do so. We need some faithful men inside the church of God. But see, the thing is, we also need women who will step up and be warriors of faith as well. And you might be thinking, women warriors? I don't, that doesn't sound right to me. But see, it's interesting because the last time that I checked, in Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God wasn't just a suggestion for men to put on. It's for everybody to put on. So we need some women that will step up as well and be warriors of faith. Yeah, y'all keep up. I don't know how much y'all keep up with politics and all that stuff, but you can't. You got to be living under a rock to not see this hashtag Me Too movement that's been going on. You're not trying to open up a political can or anything like that. I think that's gotten blown out of proportion in a lot of ways. Not that it's ever right for anybody to go through sexual or verbal abuse. That's never okay under any circumstance. But see, what I've been thinking was is that, man, it's really rallied a lot of people to a cause, right? These women are standing up everywhere and, and fighting for injustices that they believe have been done upon them. So I began to think about that stuff a little bit, and I came to this conclusion. I think we need a Me Too movement inside the church. I think we need a Me Too movement inside the church for somebody to stand up and say, you know what, I'm going to live unashamed of my faith. And for somebody else to stand up behind them and say, you know what, hashtag Me Too. I'm going to witness to my family and my friends and my teammates and my coworkers, hashtag Me Too. I'm going to love my wife as Christ loved the church, hashtag Me Too. I'm going to honor and support my husband. Hashtag me too. I'm going to live in purity. Hashtag me too. I'm going to live in righteousness. Hashtag me too. I'm going to trust God with my finances. Hashtag me too. I'm going to trust God with my future. Hashtag me too. I'm going to obey his commands. Hashtag me too. I'm going to follow his calling. Hashtag me too. Hey, listen, for us, it's not be all that you can be. It's be who you're called to be. Get out of here tonight and do some recruiting. Because we're in a fight. We need as much help as we can get. Paul goes on from there. And he shows us the second characteristic of a good soldier's life. Verse 3, he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So a good soldier quite simply shares in suffering. Part of being a good soldier of Christ is a willingness to suffer for Christ. And trust me, if you follow him in complete surrender and obedience, you will face suffering. Paul understood this as well as anybody. If anybody could speak to suffering... Paul could because he understood it. As a matter of fact, suffering was a part of Paul's calling. Did you know that? Suffering was a part of Paul's calling. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16, God has told a man named Ananias to go and pray over Paul. And this is what he's told him. Ananias, I want you to go pray for Paul. And here's, here's the deal. 
I want you to go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. A good soldier is not afraid to share in the sufferings of battle. It was a part of Paul's calling. Can I tell you something tonight? You might not find it all that encouraging, but that doesn't mean it's any less true. It's a part of your calling too. Because the same guy that God said was going to have to see suffering in his life wrote in one chapter over from where we're at tonight in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, where he says that indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know what persecuted could also be translated as? Suffer. That's a part of your calling too. Don't think that you will get to share in the glories of Christ without also sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And the way that we handle suffering depends heavily upon how we view suffering. I'll say that again. The way that we handle suffering depends heavily upon how we view suffering. Unfortunately, Jesus doesn't just tell us that we will suffer for him. He does tell us that. But he's gracious and merciful, and he also tells us how to respond and to react to that suffering. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 12, Jesus says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Jesus tells you, you know what, as my soldiers enlisted in my army, you will face suffering. You will. But here's how you're to respond, and this is how you're to react. Rejoice. Rejoice. And I know that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And you might think, well, that's just crazy. There's no way, no way anybody could actually do that in the midst of suffering for the cause of Christ. There's no way Jesus meant that literally. But there's an example in Scripture in Acts chapter 5 where Peter and John have been beaten and flogged by the religious people for preaching the gospel. And I want you to see how they reacted to that suffering. In Acts chapter 5, and verse 40 and 41, we find this. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. Now, they didn't just slap them on the wrist, guys, like they beat them. Like a good old-fashioned, just southern whooping. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And look what Peter and John did. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. We don't know, for the most part, how to rejoice in suffering, because in all honesty, we don't suffer Peter and John were just beaten for sharing the gospel. And after they picked themselves up off the ground, they walked out the doors of the council with a smile on their face, and they were like, we just got whooped for Jesus. And they counted it as an honor to face suffering for his name. But see, what makes this even more beautiful is how God designed his church in all of this. Because when the people of God share in the suffering of God, no one suffers alone. No one suffers alone. 
Peter and John walked out rejoicing with each other that they had been suffered. But you know what they did? They went back to the church after it happened. And they told them what happened. And you know what the church did? Put their arms around Peter and John. And they said, that's awesome. That's awesome. But we want to pray for you. So you'll continue to be bold and courageous. You know why? Because it's not just one beating that you're going to face. It's day in and day out when you carry the name and the banner of Jesus Christ. But no one suffers alone. I saw we have this body, but it's that no man left behind mentality. We're talking about being soldiers, right? It's that I'm not going to leave anybody behind. And this is just my, the way my brain kind of works because when I was thinking about that no man left behind mentality, I don't think there's any greater picture of that than Forrest Gump and Bubba. You remember they're walking through the jungle, right? And all of a sudden, fighting breaks out, and they start shooting. The guy tells Forrest to run. Well, what's he do? He runs. And he gets outside of the jungle, and he turns around, and what happened? Uh-oh. Where's Bubba? And so he runs back into the jungle, and what's he do? He runs back in. He's trying to find Bubba, right? But who does he find? He finds Tex. What's he do? He picks him up, throws him over his shoulder, and he runs back out, and he lays him down. He goes running back in, and he finds a couple more guys, and he brings them out, and he lays them down. He still hadn't found Bubba, and he runs back in another time. Who's he find? Lieutenant Dan. And he brings him out, and he lays him down. He's going to turn around and go back, and Lieutenant Dan grabs him. He's like, you can't go back in there. He's like, I got to find Bubba. Man, that's the way the church ought to function in the battle. I got a brother or a sister who's getting beaten down by the forces of hell. I'm not going to run off and leave them. If I have to, I will run back into the fiery darts and I will pick them up and I will throw them over my shoulder and I will bring them to God's house. I'm not afraid to share in the sufferings of my Savior after He endured so much for me. But can I tell you this? Because I want you to recognize this. It's the ones up front at the fiercest point of fighting that encounter suffering. So ask yourself this question. Am I going to get up to the front lines and fight? Or am I going to be content just hiding out in the back? But a good soldier shares in suffering. Then Paul gives us the third characteristic in verse 4. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. A good soldier focuses on the mission. Paul makes an example saying that the best soldiers, the ones focused on completing their mission, they don't get caught up in civilian matters. Now don't get this confused or take what he is saying the wrong way. Paul isn't telling Timothy or us to be disengaged from the world around us. They are the mission after all. So he's not saying I need you to disengage from all the world around you and just focus on this because the world is your mission. So don't get confused with what he's telling his protege here. We ought to be set apart from the world, but we are not to be cut off from the world. There is a big, massive difference. What he is saying is don't allow anything to distract you from the mission. What's distracting you from the mission? Maybe it's the people that you allow yourself to be around that distract you from the mission. Maybe it's the places that you allow yourself to go to distract you from the mission. Maybe it's social media that distracts you from the mission. My gosh, what if we spent 
a third of the time that we spent on social media, out in the streets, telling people about Jesus. I would be curious to know how many hours altogether in this room of social media time have been logged just since Monday compared to how much minutes or seconds have been spent with us one-on-one with somebody telling them about the love and the power of Jesus Christ to the gospel. What's distracting you from the mission because a good soldier stays focused on his mission we are part of an army that God has left here on the earth with the mission of evangelizing the world. Can I just be honest with you? This is a blunt and hard truth. If we aren't seeing people saved with regularity, it's because we've become distracted from the mission. And people want to come up with all these plans and all these strategies. Of, Man, why we ain't seen nobody saved here like What's the deal? Something's quenching the spirit. I'll tell you what it is. It's us. We don't need a plan. We don't need a program. We just need people to quit being so daggum distracted with the crap of the world and get focused on the mission that God has given us and go out and do the work. Focus on the mission. The good soldier makes the mission his top priority. He plans, he strategizes, he collects intel, and then he advances. All the while being so careful not to do anything that would compromise the success or the completion of the mission. So we set our hearts on the mission. We plan, we strategize, we collect intel, and then we advance. All the while keeping a close watch on our lives as well so that we don't do anything to compromise the completion or the success of the mission. Why? So that one day we can report back. So that one day we can... Report back to the one who enlisted us, who the whole time Paul says we have been aiming to please. I don't know about y'all, but I want to get to the end of my rope one day and hear, well done, well done. One last characteristic that Paul brings out in the good soldier's life. Skip on down to verse 8. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, is preached in my gospel, which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may attain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul says to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. It's not that Timothy had forgotten about the Savior, by the way. It's just that Paul knew sometimes when the battle is the fiercest and opposition is the strongest, it's good to be reminded who and what you are fighting for. Rallying the troops. It's an actual phrase that they use in war. Rallying the troops. And its literal, its literal meaning is this. It is a mustering of scattered forces to renew an effort. There will be times that the blows of the enemy is so hard and so fierce that it may scatter us into different places. But when we find underneath the banner of Jesus Christ and somebody picks that banner up and they run to the front of the line and they hold it back up, the troops begin to rally. The troops begin to rally. We may be scattered, but we come back together. Why? Because the mission needs to be completed. We don't back down. Paul says the last characteristic of a good soldier is that he doesn't back down. 
And Paul tells us that the mission has sent him into suffering. It's caused him to be bound with chains. But he says, but I'm not backing down. Why? Because nothing can stop my God. I might be bound, but his word's not. Therefore, I endure everything. Listen, if you don't get anything else tonight, maybe you can just get this one thing, please. What a shame it is when we allow the enemy to overtake us in some area with a power that is incomprehensibly less than the power that dwells within us. Last week, Paul left us with I persist. So I don't stop until the work is finished. This week, he leaves us with I endure. I don't back down from the fight. Suffering may come. Chains may come. But I've recruited others to the fight, and they share in my suffering with me, and we remain focused on the mission, not backing down because there are others, he says, that may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Listen, some of us will get real passionate about fighting for some really senseless things. But it's amazing how quickly we will cower and back down when it comes to reaching someone for the gospel of Jesus. I will try and try and try to make it through this program in school. I will try and try and try applying for a job so that I can get it. But I'll share the gospel with somebody two times, and if they're not interested, then I'm done, and I'm moving on. I give up. I back away from the fight. I'm tired of that stuff in my own life. And I hope you guys are as well. Stop backing down from the fight. close with this. I'll share a story with you guys. It's 1906 in Germany. And there's a boy that has just been born named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's raised in a normal, average family, just like most of us are. And at the age of 14, Bonhoeffer felt called to be a pastor. At the age of 21, he graduated from the University of Berlin he traveled to Spain to serve as an assistant pastor for a German congregation that met there. He would later travel to America to study at New York Union Theological Seminary for a year, but then it was back to Germany for him. At this point, a man named Adolf Hitler was rising to power. And there were those who stood against Hitler's anti-Semitic ideology, one of which was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And so during this time, he began teaching pastors in an underground seminary to resist the Third Reich. But after the seminary was discovered, Bonhoeffer had to change his fighting technique. And so he enlisted in the German secret service. And serving secretly as a double agent, he traveled all over Europe where he was supposed to be collecting intel for Nazi Germany, but instead he was helping Jews escape from their grip. And during this time, he moved to America, where he had decided to continue his resistance here by aiding the U.S. in the fight against Nazi Germany. But he couldn't shake a responsibility that he felt to his own country and his own people. And just a few months after being here, he wrote a letter and he sent it to a fellow theologian friend by the name of Reinhold Niebuhr. And this is what he said. I have made a mistake in coming to America. I must live through this difficult period in our national history with the Christian people of Germany. I have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. And so he went back. Eventually he was caught in his resistance and in April of 1943 two men drove up to his house shackled him and carried him to Tegel prison 
And he would later be moved to Flossenburg concentration camp. And on April 9th, 1945, two weeks prior to the Americans coming in and liberating that concentration camp, he was hanged. A decade later, a camp doctor recounted what he saw that day when Bonhoeffer breathed his last breath. And he said the prisoners were taken from their cells and the verdicts of court-martial read out to them. Through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued in a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I have worked as a doctor, I've hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Bonhoeffer's last words that day, this is the end. For me, the beginning of life. It's the kind of soldier that I want to be when my time is done on this earth. So it's time for us as a church to rise up and get in the fight. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the message. We pray that God has spoken to you through it and you have been challenged to fight for the advancement of the gospel. As always, we encourage you to not merely be a hearer of God's word, but a doer. May he bless and guide your steps.